wherever you are, whatever you're doing, you are loved by God. I wanted you to know that. I'm Josh, and this is We The Peace. We The Peace is a podcast sponsored by PAX, dedicated to mobilizing Christian leaders to bring Jesus-centered peacemaking and justice into our organizations. We explore how peacemaking, activism, and the justice of Jesus are central to discipleship. We the church are we the peace in a hurting and violent world. In season two, we explore how Christian leaders can develop a Jesus-centered outlook on politics. What does Jesus have to do with politics? How does the kingship of Jesus impact our understanding of modern politics? In what way is the church a political institution? We will define politics, walk through the four Christian views on politics, and then look to the ministry of Jesus for how Christians are to relate to and mobilize politically. Let's jump into this week's episode. What up, y'all? Josh Buck here with We The Peace. In last episode, I defined politics as human-made systems of power, government, whether centralized or decentralized, that ought to promote human flourishing. I argued that humans are inherently political beings by virtue of the Imago Dei and as a result of God creating us as embodied creatures connected to everything around us all the time, including broader social structures like politics. I'm so excited about this episode because we'll be diving headlong into why and how Jesus himself was and is political. If Jesus is King, Messiah, the I Am, the Son of Man, what does that mean for his followers and the church? I'll first start with a story. It's about five years ago, I was sitting with about 200 pastors from across the country in Minneapolis, Minnesota at the headquarters of the Evangelical Free Church of America. It was an awesome time of learning and fellowship, and I was with lots of majority culture folks like myself, white guys. And shout out to one of my mentors, Alex Mandez, for inviting me many times to the all people segment of the gathering. We were at tables of about eight when the discussion facilitator brought up the topic of politics. I was by far the youngest guy there and they bounced the question to me about how I handle election season in Los Angeles where I co-planted and co-led a church for many years, Antioch. And I responded by saying, you know, each year leading up to the election, we have a Politics of Jesus series where we talk through how Jesus was political in his own cultural setting and ministry. And then we draw some principles out for people to empower them around the election season. The table went quiet. And then a recently retired pastor of a megachurch in Texas, a really amazing guy, looked at me and asked, how many weeks is your Politics of Jesus series? And I said, about four to six. He smiled at me and said, man, if that were me, the series would be really short. I asked why. He said, because Jesus says very little about politics. I knew he was probably referring to 
Jesus's interaction with Pontius Pilate in John 18, or when Jesus said, pay to Caesar what is Caesar's in Mark 12. So I let the table sit in his comment for about four seconds. And I look back, honestly, really confused by a guy with loads of biblical chops and theological training. And I said, everything Jesus did and said was political. Jesus is the Christ, the King of the world. He looked back at me and said, huh, I never thought about it like that. So this story illustrates yet another problem with our political imagination as Christian leaders. The first problem identified in episode one is that Jesus has nothing to do with politics until the right candidate comes along as the right party, the right political system, the right election to take back America for Jesus. And then the church must rally behind some dude. And this is a critically ill political imagination. The second one flows from the story I just told. The myth is that Jesus isn't political. He's just a religious leader, a personal savior, and his kingship mysteriously and suspiciously does not apply to us in any overt political way. In this episode, I'm going to go very quickly through four biblical vocations of Jesus that prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus is political. The outworking of these four vocations will begin to form for followers of Jesus the politics of Jesus. In other words, we will identify the political vocations of Jesus, Messiah or Christ, Son of Man, I Am, and King and then move to explore how these vocations manifest politically. This is critical for Christian leaders to map because we are after a Jesus-centered politics. Here's the main takeaway. Jesus took on political vocations that framed and informed his gospel, message, ministry, and mission. Here is a quick overview of God's kingship in the Bible and how it connects to Jesus. In the Old Testament, God is referred to as the king. One quick example is from Psalms 47, 6 through 8. Sing praises to God, sing praises, sing praises to our king, sing praises for God is the king of all the earth. Sing praises with a psalm. God is king over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. It is clear cut that God is a theopolitical ruler. In fact, this belief in God's kingship was so strong that Israel wasn't supposed to have a human king, according to the Torah and the prophet Samuel. But even though God is king, Israel wanted a human king like the other nations. God, with a heavy heart, obliges their request in 1 Samuel chapter 8. Skip forward a bit. God allowed Israel to have kings and queens And one of those kings, David, is told by God, quote, I will raise up your offspring after you who will come forth from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He will build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be a father to him and he will be a son to me. 2 Samuel 7, 12 through 14. Christians believe that this text was talking about 
Jesus. Moreover, Moses said that a new theopolitical leader would come to Israel, the one greater than Moses to lead God's people, Deuteronomy 18, 15 through 19. Peter straight up says this is fulfilled in Jesus, Acts 3, 8 through 24. On top of that, Jesus himself claims to be the I am, the very God that led Israel in the spiritually and socially informed gospel of salvation from slavery and sin in Exodus 3.14. Also, you know, look at Jesus' seven I am statements in the gospel of John, especially John 8.57. So the gospel that was constructed through the I am in the Exodus narrative is manifest in Jesus, the I am of Israel. Are you beginning to sense and get a feel for what it means for God to be political and for Jesus to be political and how his message, his ministry, his gospel is fully charged politically? Then we still have two more vocations to go. Jesus is also the Messiah or the Christ. Mark 8, 29 through 30. Jesus asked them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, you are the Messiah. And Jesus sternly ordered them not to tell anyone about him. Jesus here is affirming the title that Peter rightly identified. The rest of the New Testament commonly refers to Jesus as Christ. Christ means the Jewish Messiah. For Jesus to be the Messiah is to hold a Jewish political office. The Jewish crowds followed Jesus in part because of the miracles, but also precisely because of his messiahship. They were looking to be rescued. And Jesus's messiahship, this position made his life, ministry, and teaching deeply political. That does not mysteriously disappear in the 21st century. That is the third political vocation of Jesus. Lastly, the most quoted self-designation of Jesus across the Gospels is Son of Man. In other words, Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man. And this connects back to Daniel 7 and is also a politically rich title. For Jesus to say he is the Son of Man was to bring himself into the Old Testament legacy with a political expectation to liberate God's people and rule the world. And Jesus did offer this political kingdom, just not in the way they expected. And just in case this isn't enough, the disciples understood Jesus to be a political leader. The Pharisees, Sadducees, Essenes, Zealots understood Jesus to hold political offices. Rome understood Jesus to be political. He was crucified king of the Jews. And crucifixion was reserved for political insurrectionists. So with all of this clear and non-controversial biblical data, why do we in 21st century America, have such a hard time viewing Jesus as political. I want to identify some myths that leaders, and if not you, those you lead, might struggle with believing. And these myths and lies hold us back from following King Jesus. And to be clear, I'm speaking from a majority culture perspective. So these lies impacting white churches 
and majority culture spaces don't necessarily impact all communities. So maybe this doesn't apply to you. I'm going to give one cultural reason and one theological reason. So to culture, first, we live in a country where we have separation of church and state in the United States. When white British men decided to take up violent arms to separate themselves from the British, they were reacting against a political ruler, a king. The British king was replaced with a constitution, bill of rights, and a democratic process that allowed white land-owning men to flourish. The separation of church and state does two things. One, the cultural consciousness of American people do not like the idea of a king, an overlord telling them what to do. This rubs against us. It is no surprise that even if American Christians know biblically God is king and Jesus is king, we tend to reduce that kingship to our liberty in Christ, emphasizing personal salvation for personal sanctification. By doing this, we force this epically wonderful theopolitical king through a white, individualistic, and liberty-laden prison. In other words, We make Jesus American, and in that we ask him to not be a king anymore. Two, we associate the state with politics and the church with religion. And in one sense, this is biblically consistent or a good thing. Christianity nor any religion should dominate the legislative process. And I'll speak more about this in our advanced discussion in episode 11. And churches, regardless of their background, are free to worship. The state leaves churches alone, and churches leave the state alone. In a very simplistic way, generally, that's good stuff, okay? And I don't disagree with that. But it is also deeply unbiblical to only place a king in the realm of a contained religious facility, or a church gathering. Why? Well, Jesus is king, and humans are fundamentally political creatures, and the church is a religio-political organization that Jesus started. In this case, Christianity has everything to do with politics. Let me put it another way. The universe and the territory of every country lives under the theocratic reign of King Jesus right now. Yet, the theocratic reign of Jesus does not promote a particular nation or people group as theocracies of old have done. This theocracy where Jesus is king demands the theopolitical loyalty of everything over every human, every animal, every sunset, every politician. There is no democracy with God. Everyone must bend the knee to King Jesus. Every knee shall bow, Philippians 2. Every ruler of this world is subject to the kingship of Jesus. Colossians 1, 15 through 20, 2, 15, Ephesians 1, 20 through 23, That is a pretty dang political message. Two, we have inherited through a colonial reformed theology, a diseased political imagination. Again, I borrow this language from Dr. Willie Jennings, who wrote a book called The Christian Imagination. Pick it up, read it. The U.S. church is placed within 
the Western legacy of the Reformation. With the Reformation came three divergent views on how Christians should relate to politics, culture, and power. All three of these views attached themselves to the politics of the colonial agenda. In fact, the Reformation ended up riding the dark and sinister wave of the colonial era and through it exported a diseased political theology throughout the entire earth. This is part of the diseased political theology we have inherited today. If you are not quite sure what I mean by all of this, I will explain it in detail in episode four. I will explore those three views in two episodes from now, and I will argue that all three are in need of revision with a fourth view more faithful to the witness of Jesus, getting back to Jesus, our solution. But if you are asking yourself as a leader, why do we, the church, have such a hard time relating to politics? Why is the church lost or is losing its witness because of political engagement? Why do we feel the need to align with the broken two-party system? I'll address your concerns, and I hope that we can make sense of this mess. In the next episode, I'm going to map out clearly the political position of Jesus by discussing the fulfillments that God brought through Jesus. If Jesus is king, then what is his platform? Before I leave, here are a few practical questions for you to be asking for your people and your leadership setting. First, how have the political titles of Jesus impacted or not impacted your reading of the New Testament? What cultural or theological reasons have made it difficult to accept that Jesus is our theopolitical leader? In what ways do the vocations of Jesus impact the life of the church? And a book I would encourage you to read is The Irony of Power, The Politics of God Within Matthew's Narrative by Dorothy Jean Weaver. If you have a question for us, send a direct message on our Instagram at Made for Packs or message us on Facebook. Also, you can send your question via email at wethepeace at madeforpacks.org. We will dedicate an episode to answer some of your questions. My name is Josh. This is We the Peace.